Welcome to Clockworks, a Legion podcast. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And I hope you're feeling funny because we're talking about the comic book. Mm, no. Because comic in bo- doesn't really mean funny anymore, but that's like where it originates, you know? You get it? We always called them the funny papers when I was a kid. Did you call them that? No. Like the comics in the newspaper were the funny papers? I feel like people only called them the funny papers in like the 50s. I think you grew up in the past. We're talking about <laughs> the third. You grew up in the prairies, which is like the past. You're uh, uh, Paul Moffat. <laughs> Take We're that ta- back. Never. We're talking about the third X-Men Legacy Legion book. This is the third special <laughs> bonus podcast we've made about this. The second one was only two weeks ago, and the first one was last year. We're going to be doing another one in two weeks from now. And that'll be the end of it, because there's only four volumes in this set. Exactly. So X-Men Legacy Legion, Volume 3, comprises of issues 13 to 18. There's a two-part issue called Hope and Glory, then a single issue, Place of Broken Things, and then a three-part issue, Wear the grudge like a crown. Right. So should we get into the issues? Anything to say before we start? No, I'm ready to get going. These were written by Simon Spurrier, etc. Yeah, they are not all illustrated by the same person. Mm, okay. I'll I'll give illustration credits issue by issue because they're the illustrator changes. They're not they're traditionally called the artist, not so much the illustrator. Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Illustrator is usually like a picture book? Yeah. Okay. The artist is a full collaborator with the writer, and Mm -hmm. together they create the text. They're not just illustrating what the writer tells them to. That's not how comics works. Exactly. Sorry, I misspoke. The artist is not the same with every issue, and I'll give the art credits after you've given the synopsis of each issue, I think. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Okay. Issue 13. Hope and Glory, Part 1. David goes to London to meet with mutants there and tries to convince them to help him with the the anti-mutant sentiment. He's confronted by Pete Wisdom. David pulls Pete into a false delusion where he's being attacked. And when he comes out, he blasts David in the face. This whole issue is narrated by uh, Pete Wisdom. That's right. The cover of issue 13 is a series of, like, Russian nesting dolls that are... We talked about this. I think we were agreed that they all look like uh, different manifestations of David's powers. Yes. Like, the the characters, the creatures or people in his head who have the powers, right? Yeah. A bunch of different Russian nesting dolls with David inside one of them. Mm -hmm. That's the cover. All of these are written by Simon Spurrier. I'm going to give his credit right now and then not again because it's always the same. And all the covers are by Mike Del Mundo. I'm going to give that credit now and then not again because it's always the same. But this issue is uh, pencils by Tan Ang Huat and ink by Craig Yuang. Before we move into the issue, like just about the cover, it's not maybe not uh doesn't require that much decoding but maybe the significance of the cover to this issue in particular is 
David is the one on the inside when it seems like other people are on the outside. So it's a rushing nesting doll with David on the inside. Mm-hmm. Also, just in general, how David's powers work, are there people inside who seems the person who seems like he's on the outside? And then also I thought like maybe in this issue and the next one, David is playing a shell game. Yeah, he's, exactly. And I mean, through the whole book, really, things never are what they seem to be. And David is always putting deception around what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking with this cover is the whole issue is layers of reality. Yeah. And just when you think you've made it to the outside layer or the inside layer, you still got another layer to go. Yeah, exactly. Do you know anything about Pete Wisdom going into this? Nothing. I'd never heard of him before. Me neither. I looked him up a little bit as we were preparing to talk. And I mean, honestly, he seems a little bit to me. And, uh, you know, feel free to yell at me, listeners, if you know about Pete Wisdom and you think I'm wrong. But based on a Wikipedia, he seems a little bit like a uh, John Constantine ripoff. Mm, Yeah, that's the kind of the vibe that I was getting as well. I mean, he references James Bond in this, but he feels way more Constantine than Bond, Bond, Mm -hmm. even though he is working for MI13, which is an imaginary branch of uh, of the British spy agency. And his his power is he has like super sharp uh, plasma fingers. And when I looked it up, he says it in the comic. But when I looked it up, it clarified even more that they're like hotter than the center of the sun. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems in this issue uh like he can use them to cut telepathic things and that's an interesting just to like maybe cut ahead i mean jump ahead a little bit to pete wisdom and like my understanding when i googled it of what those uh fingernails are is they're just like super hot So it's weird and also very compelling to me that he can cut through psychic things with them. That doesn't seem like that's a standard use of that power, of his power. Hmm. I always felt, I felt like it was just David taking him out. I didn't actually think it was him doing it. No, I think. But I guess like he slashes across using his fingers. Yeah. I think we're meant to understand that he can, like, once uh, Blindfold lets him see those tendrils, he can physically cut them. Hmm. Which I think is quite cool, actually. That is pretty cool. This issue is like an unreliable narrator times two, it feels like to me. Yes, absolutely. Because Pete Wisdom is the one talking to us, and he's not being truthful And we can see sometimes the the difference between what his narrative boxes say and what's happening in front of us Mm -hmm. to, like, clue us in that he's lying in the voiceover. Yeah. But then also, he's being lied to and the world is not what he thinks it is. Yeah, absolutely. And we sort of know that by the end of this issue, but we really find it out in the next issue. Mm -hmm. The other thing I kind of think about, question I have about this issue... What do we think about, he's going to come up a few more times, but the king, I didn't write down his name, but the king from an imaginary country, uh, and everything he says is translated from Arabic. Hmm. Do you have an opinion about that? Um, maybe. He comes from an imaginary country that's in, yeah, Arabia, that's like near, 
Kuwait, it seemed like. I wasn't quite, I can't remember what they said. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Um, it seems, it has some racism issues, I would say. Uh-huh. But it also, it seems like this is the relationship that uh, Britain would have with a country that is giving them oil. Hmm. And they want to impress or whatever. They want the oil and they don't care about the policies of the country. Exactly. And like that Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Uh, I guess you don't want to actually kill the Saud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Exactly. And like they don't end up killing him. That's the whole, the whole plot of this. Or is that the next issue? Either way. I want to, the last thing I have to say about this issue is just that I'm a little irritated in this issue about the uh, unreliable narratorness, and that's only, I'm only going to get more irritated through this whole book, just to put that out there. Mm -hmm. That said, though, I kind of like issues like this, where the conflict is actually all mental. All the physical conflicts aren't really happening. I yeah. don't want the too much of that. I don't want all my comics to be like that. But in a comic like Legion, which is all really about not just psychic power, but like uh, mental discipline, even mm -hmm. that like there aren't any actual fights in this comic. Yeah. I kind of like it. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely think that's an interesting thing about this i i'm a, i'm a bit of a fan of like the reality inside of a reality yep the twist that it wasn't the reality and then the figuring out of like oh we're in another one of these <laughs> and trying to figure out the layers of where inception. you are the yeah i guess the inception is what that is what i liked about this issue was all meeting new x-men yeah like and i mean x-men that i've heard of before like psylocke and pixie Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so David trying to convince new people to be on his side and kind of getting them to agree with him was interesting. Yep. And kind of the politics of a whole new place. Yeah, totally. So immediately following the previous issue, Pete Wisdom is attacked by Ruth for killing David, but they soon realize that they are still in his mind. David sends Pete through delusion after delusion while he executes his real plan, pro-mutant propaganda, to convince London away from mutophobia. In the end, Pete is angry and calls for David's mother, the Israeli ambassador. The cover of this issue is uh, David playing with the other characters on a game board. Um, this, first of all, is very reminiscent of uh, season two of Legion, of Legion, the TV show. Mm -hmm. It's relevant to this particular issue because we see here that David is manipulating people. I mean, this is a theme through all the books, but in this issue particularly, all these people, David is setting them all up so that, and setting them all up in the game board sense, not in the... Uh, Implicating them for a crime sense. Yeah. Uh, he's moving the pieces so that what happens next will be what he expects and predicts. And it is. Mm -hmm. um, this issue was also 
pencils by Tan Ang Huat, and inks by Craig Yuang. There's one part in this that I really like where uh, Pete is trying to get through the delusions and he's just annoyed and annoyed and annoyed. And one of them is he's inside the world of the comic being inked. Yeah. Which I thought was very clever. We have like the narrative voice is like the inker or something Mm -hmm. explaining how to make a comic. Yeah. Yeah. I also enjoyed that. Um, In the beginning of this comic, Ruth blindfold, like reveals her power we read, we as readers have always known that she's had power, that she's powerful and she's dangerous, but it's good to remind us of that. Yes, absolutely. What, what is with her monstrous shape when she's using her power, though? Like, she goes all pointy. I didn't notice that. Her arms get longer, she gets... Her face goes pointy, her arms and fingers get longer, like... I suppose one of my questions is, do you think that that is just stylized art? Or do we think that Blindfold is actually changing shape because she's mad and using her power? I felt like it was just a representation of her power, of her like lightning-ish stuff coming out of her fingers and visually showing her anger. I'm not sure that her body is literally doing that. It's like, look at page... But it does make her very monstrously looking. Page 29, especially, and I'll put up uh, Im- this image uh, in the show notes or whatever. When it's, like, coming out of her head, basically? Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's what's literally happening or not, what does it mean that she's so deformed by her power or by her anger? Is this because we're in Pete Wisdom's point of view and he finds her monstrous? Maybe that's a part of it. Yeah, is it's I think it's just a very emotional set of panels. Right. And we're right there with her from our perspective too of uh we don't know that this is a delusion at this point. We can kind of guess because the comics about him, but from her perspective, he's just killed David. Yep. So she's exploding with anger and her power is exploding in the same way. And her, it almost looks like her mind is exploding and like Ruth's powers are very mental. Mm -hmm. And so to have this kind of swirl coming out of her head really shows like her lack of control in this moment. Right. So the, like, I totally called, by the way, even in the last issue that when David says he's going to wipe mutophobic Britain off the map, that does not mean he's going to kill them all. It means he's going to do something to make them not mutophobic. Yeah. But I still like it. Even mm-hmm. though I called it, I like it that basically these two issues are just David has a big PR plan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but even though I like it, it's pretty naive, isn't it? It is. Yeah. To think like that this would work it's similar to in the last issue the last volume when oh if we show if we confuse people then they won't be as angry if we give them this fall guy i can't remember his name yeah then they'll be confused and they won't act anymore 
And this is kind of the same thing is like if we show them some good mutants, they won't hate mutants. They won't hate anymore. mutants anymore. And it's it's fairly naive in terms of like the writing, I feel like. It's not like it's not naive. I don't think David is supposed to be being naive in this. I think yeah. it's actually the writer. That's maybe that's naive. what I was driving at. Like, do we think that it's this is showing how naive David is, or is this the writer just being like if everybody sees a mutant not blowing up the queen, then they'll decide they don't hate mutants anymore. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, uh, gee, I guess you just solved racism. You know? Yeah. I like it. There's something appealing to me about that kind of optimism, but it also is like, okay, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. What do you think of Pete Wisdom's big trump card in this being like, I'll call your mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I don't really understand why he did this to Pete. Like, why was he taking Pete out of the picture for this time? Because Pete was going to mess up this plan, I guess. Because he wants Pete to solve, to stop the assassination on his own. Because Simon Spurrier wants to be able to lie to us for two issues. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's a little bit... It's a little thin in the plot. Really. Yeah. And this is... I'm still really enjoying this series. I'll say, I think I enjoy every volume a little less than I enjoyed the previous one. And part of that is because I feel like Simon Spurrier is very hooked on the twist reveal. Yeah. And like, we just lied to the, let's just lie to the readers for a whole issue. Yeah. And this is, although there's things about these two issues that I enjoy, that's part of the like, but why though? Why, why couldn't we be in on this plan? Or why, like, why though? <laughs> yeah. You know, because if we're in on the plan, there doesn't seem to be any conflict. Yeah, exactly. So there has to be someone trying to stop his plan. But his the only person who can stop his plan is someone who doesn't understand it because his plan is so obviously good, pure and good, and that no one would ever try to stop him. Mm -hmm. So you have to lie to someone so that they stop him. It also sets up, like it seeds something that's going to play through the whole volume of David doesn't share his plans and it that causes him a lot of trouble. Yeah. Exactly. Again and again. And he has not learned this lesson. Mm -hmm. so maybe in that sense, it's like foreshadowing by the end of the volume. David should have learned this lesson from this moment and doesn't. Yeah. So he calls his mom. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's a bit silly, but also I'm kind of excited to meet his mom. Mm -hmm. Which we do in the next issue. So the next issue is a standalone, basically, called the uh, issue 15, The Place of Broken Things. David meets his mother at the broken-down Muir Island where he was raised. He confronts her about his childhood, and as they reconcile, he pulls her into his mind. He confirms that the man in, inside his brain is definitely not Professor X. Then an assassin kills his mother while aiming for David. And David teleports to Ruth at the X-Mansion. 
The cover of this issue is a hand holding a Polaroid of baby David who's being held in like a baby Bjorn in on his mother's front with his hair blocking her face and he's psychically moving things all around him. Mm-hmm. The relevance of the cover seems pretty clear that it's both, it's David meeting his mom, it's also the Polaroid because it's David revisiting his past. So he's looking back at his past, mm-hmm. not not just encountering it, but kind of reminiscing about it. Also, the like things swirling around him totally reminds me of David in the kitchen on the TV show Legion. I was going to say the exact same thing. This this little picture just really reminds me of the show. Uh, one of the things swirling around him is a block with the letter X on it. Yep. Which I think it's cute. Yeah. We start this issue with Cyclops and the X-Men. And I have to just say, do you not want to punch stupid Cyclops in his stupid X face? <laughs> kind of. I don't like that costume at all. I didn't even realize this was Cyclops until later. No. Yeah, I have two things. One is, like you, I hate Cyclops's X face costume. I think it's the worst. I looked at it and I looked at it and it doesn't make sense. Like where the blast comes out is not where his eyes are. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't like it at all. Also, and I know that because this is David's book, the other people who are usually heroes are not necessarily, are going to be characterized a little differently because they're in opposition to David. Like, yeah. I get that. I'm not a Cyclops hater. No. But I like Cyclops when he's lawful good, not when he's smarmy douchebag. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I do not like Cyclops in this book at all. Mm-hmm. But, he's bare, but he's only in this like the first few panels of this issue. No. And we're supposed later. to not like him. Yes, definitely. So success. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I like this first moment where David uh, reconstructs the building because oh, he's looking at it. And then too. his mother comes and like, I didn't realize they'd made it again. And it just disappears. And he's like, oh no, it's all broken down. I was just remembering it. And he doesn't even like fully realize that he's doing it yeah he's just doing it by looking at a building that he knows what it should look like he says the the line that i really like is i was just remembering aloud yeah it's like when i think about something and it just manifests in the world Mm -hmm. i really like that moment a lot there's a lot of things in here that just show how incredibly powerful he is. Yep. And I feel like we're getting to that place in the TV show as well, where we're just getting glimpses of like, oh, look at how powerful he can be. I think about on the Legion TV show where he takes that big like tar monster and just like puts him in a jar and explodes him. Yep. And like, there's no conflict there. There's no big like beat him up scene. David yeah. can take something and put it in a jar and explode it. It doesn't phase him. He's that so really powerful. is a moment of de- in the show of demonstrating David's power. Mm-hmm. I feel like absolutely both in this moment in the comic and in the show, all the characters think they know how powerful he is. And we keep getting glimpses of like, no, no, he's yeah. much more powerful, powerful than that. Yeah, exactly. If only he and you knew it. Yeah, exactly. When did all this bubble universe stuff happen i don't know not know i am not up on my x-men comics enough to know this whole story i assume that this is when legion got introduced in the comics maybe listeners if you know 
is he this he's he's telling us about a story that has happened in x-men comics i guess the age of x it's called I'm okay guessing, it's like there's, that's in the corner so i'm guessing that's what ah. it might be called i haven't read it and don't know anything about it mm. maybe we should go and look it up maybe we should i don't know if you've read it and you like it let us know or if you've read it and you think we shouldn't waste our time, let us know that yeah, also. Yeah, that would be even more important. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to waste our time and money on comics that suck. In this issue, we learn that Golden Mind Charles is definitely not Charles. We kind of knew that already. Yeah, but this is like full-on confirmation. Yeah. That so like, he, yeah, that his mother sees him and... Asks him a question and he just doesn't answer at all. And she goes, ah, you're not him. There's no way. You said you were looking forward to meeting David's mother. What do you think now that you did? Uh, A little disappointed Hmm. in what she was like. Like she was fairly boring as a character. Like she didn't really do anything at all. Um, Honestly, I'd like to know more about her. I was disappointed that she was killed so quickly. Yeah. And... I had no emotional investment in her before she was killed, except for her, by virtue of being David's mother. Yeah, I think she's like a woman in a refrigerator. A little bit, yeah. Right? She isn't a character. She's a plot element motivating David. Mm. And that's kind of disappointing. That is, you're right. I also just don't know anything about... Uh, her and Professor X and how they had David. Mm-hmm. That's a story for a different from a different comic. I did like, I mean, think it was quite emotionally effective. The I am I when I reached for a maternal figure, I reached for the woman who sh- like strapped me down and uh, tortured me because at least she was there. Yeah. Like, that was quite an emotional punch. That's eh? quite a punch, yeah. There is, throughout this issue, this whole theme of, like, drums, mm-hmm. of thrumming. And I'm not really sure, like, that is that him, like, sensing that his death is coming or something? And then at the very, very end, Cyclops is like, I hear drum. I thought I heard drums. Right. I didn't write that down in my notes, so I almost forgot about it. But I didn't write it down in my notes because I have no idea. Mm -hmm. I think Cyclops hears it not because I don't think Cyclops and David are experiencing the same phenomenon. I think Cyclops is hearing David approaching. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know that that makes sense with what we see either before or after, especially since, I mean, again, we say this, we always spoil to the end of the volume that we're talking about, even Mm -hmm. though we basically stick to the issue. But like the next issues is going to make us see the next issues are going to make us feel like David is hunting Cyclops down, but he's not. Mm-hmm. It's true. So. It's just kind of, once again, not playing fair with the audience. Yeah. Maybe. Because like that's the what sound, it's supposed to be. The sound is Golden Charles banging on the bars, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, and by the end of this, he's let out, so there's that. Yeah. Maybe that is a sign that he's going to escape. Yeah, maybe. I don't really know. Well, moving on then. (laughs) (laughs) Issue 16, 
Wear the Grudge Like a Crown, Part 1. David decides to go after Cyclops, who murdered Professor X. Cyclops and his team are containing a young, dangerous mutant. David takes them down one by one, including Magneto, until it's just David and Cyclops. They agree to fight without powers, and it is being televised live. The cover is David with an X burned out of his hair. I have to say there are clearly like smoke coming out. So it's burned out, even though Cyclops's eye blasts are not hot. See Gail Simone on Twitter if you want to ever <laughs> ask about that. Um, I think it's a really compelling visual, though. Yeah, it's cute. The significance of the cover is like this issue is a fight between David and Cyclops. Yeah. That's an eye beam hole. Yeah. It also, though, suggests that there's something missing from David. Mm. Like, there's a hole in him. Yeah. Right? An, an X-shaped hole? An X-shaped hole. And maybe the X signifies Charles. Mm-hmm. Um, this issue has an artist credit, Paul Davidson, which I presume means he did both the pencils and the ink. So, Cyclops is working with, like, a whole team of... X-Men? Are they still the X-Men? Are they like a rogue team? They're working with Magneto. This I know. After Professor X dies, I don't know the circumstances of how Cyclops killed Professor X. I Like whether it was an accident or circumstances made him do it, I don't actually know. But I do know that after he, uh, Professor X died, Cyclops started a new team probably still called the x-men i don't know but that's this this is the new team founded by cyclops with all new members including magneto and emma frost and the stepford cuckoos Mm -hmm. and then some other people that we don't really know or care about yeah that we'll see in this issue that we'll see in this issue okay and that's whenever he's got his x face he's leading his, his new team there's always those two things always go together okay I think. If I'm incorrect, correct me, but my understanding is. I haven't read most of those issues, so. Mm-hmm. Just read about them. I think in this issue, the unreliable narrator is pushed a little too hard. Mm-hmm. How so? Although, I have to say, I wrote that note and then I went back and reread the whole comic and was like, Maybe everything he says is technically true mm-hmm. because he talks about hunting down his quarry who doesn't even know he's hunting him. And we we presume that that's Cyclops, but it's actually Luca. Luca. So maybe I don't think the unreliable narrator is pushed too hard. <laughs> There's a lot of talk within David's head to people who are inside his plan that's very misdirecty. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's okay. Can I just, like, digress for a tiny bit? Yep. Onto, I think it's Emma Frost and her costume. Yeah. That is entirely armor. Look at, like, arm armor. Like, I don't know what what page I'm on. Page page 87, if you're following along with me. Yep. She's got, like, a neck armor thing and then just, like, bare chest. (laughs) Just, like, (laughs) belly to neck 
Just her breasts are covered, barely. What the heck is this costume? <laughs> is this really what she wears? I mean, I know Emma Frost wears very revealing things, but this is just like beyond ridiculous you're mad at you're mad at cyclops's x face i'm just like this costume is beyond the pale <laughs> this is an especially stupid costume right this is so because stupid. emma frost in her like lingerie and cape makes some sort of sense because her superpower one of her superpowers is that her skin turns to diamond so she doesn't need any kind of armor so she's like flaunting that yeah I mean, it's obviously also exploitative. Yeah. So, uh, oh, it's not. It's not Emma Frost. It's Ileana. I don't know who that is, but yeah, the one with the totally open front is. Ileana? Oh no, that isn't. Must be Ileana and Emma Frost look very alike. In yeah, this and they're wearing the same costume. Mished. They're wearing the same colors. Colors. But Ileana's wearing like a halter top. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, you know. With a boob window, of course. Halter top with a. High neck and a boob window. And an exposed stomach. The, that's what a halter top is. Yes, sorry. <laughs> the co- the costumes throughout are not great. I don't know if we need to blame uh, whoever is in charge of X-Men at this point for all these costumes or if these are Paul Davidson's choices. I like the art generally mm-hmm. in this book. I do too. But none of the costumes of the X... I think it is the whoever's in charge of the X-Men at the time. Because yeah, sure. none of these X-Men costumes are good. Magneto, even Magneto's all-white costume is like... He should be... It doesn't yeah. improve at all on the red costume. Mm-hmm. Just looks washed out. Yep. But yes, Emma Frost's particularly silly costume. And there's even a line... I can't remember if it's in this issue or the next one... I think it's in the next one where someone says to Emma Frost, like, Miss Empowered Bikini Wearing Lady. And that's a funny line, but she's not wearing a bikini. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, that's true. I really, really like to come back to earlier in this issue. I really like uh, Ruth and David in David's head and the, like, loudspeaker being like, should I kiss her? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh crap, she heard that. And that. And that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of cleverness with Ruth being in his head and his thoughts as a loudspeaker. Yeah. And, and earlier in the earlier issue when his mom was in his head, they did right. the same thing. We're like, don't ask about the noise. You know I can hear your thoughts, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's great. I lo- that gag is always funny to me. Yeah. I also really like David and Ruth appearing with just the word doom. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is also great. And then in this issue, what do we think of the moment I want to, I, that really drew my attention other than that is the moment when he messes with Ruth's mind. Yeah. What do you think of that? Yeah, that is messed up and that is where it is unclear in these comics what kind of a person david is is he i mean it's similar to what we say in the show is he a hero or is he a villain and there's a very strong dichotomy in comics to be a hero or villain Mm -hmm. but i mean he kills people in Mm -hmm. this like blasts the smithereens out of the people who assassinate his mother yep and 
then yeah, this is I really don't like when he manipulates Ruth's mind. Is that in this comic? Is in this issue? issue, yeah. Okay. He like manipulates Ruth's oh, mind so is. that she'll have more confidence. So she'll have more or confidence. Whatever. Yeah, because all she needs is more confidence. But then, like, no, you rule you, and he's a liar. And he, I think, lampshades that right. I don't think that the writer is unaware of that. Oh yeah, for sure. They're calling it out as he's doing it. And even the like the difference between the what you said about the strong dichotomy between a hero and a villain in comics, like David's mother puts that into words. Yeah. Right? So I feel like much like the series, the TV series, this volume this this run of Legion comics is deliberately interrogating like what if you're not exactly a villain or exactly a hero, mm-hmm. but you're in this world where you have to be a superhero and you think of yourself as a superhero, but you're somewhere in between, really? You know? Yep. They're kind of swinging between making him a supervillain and a superhero instead of really sticking in the ambiguous place. Yeah, I agree. Um, but that's still, I think, making the point I mean, every issue we have to, as readers, like the task I think that they've set for themselves is that every issue we have to believe that it's possible that David has done a heel turn. And then the twist at the end is, oh, actually, he was a hero all along. But then the next issue, it has to be plausible that like, oh, now he's a villain. Mm -hmm. And one day it's not going to twist. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah, that's what I think so too. And that's like, I think, mostly successful but they lose credibility every time they lie to me. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to issue 17. Wear the grudge like a pr- crown part two. David and Cyclops fight physically until Cyclops finally overpowers him. And David resorts to using his powers. Cyclops then eye blasts David and the young mutant fuses David into a monster. Ruth knows that she must kill him now. And then Luca shows up. The cover of this issue is a black and white image of David as a boxer, all beat up with Ruth and some of his um, mind alters in his corner. Mm -hmm. The significance of this doesn't require a lot of unpacking. There's a fist fight. Yep. This issue has uh, Koi Fam credited as the artist, which I presume means both pencils and ink. Mm -hmm. The art in this issue, the panels and the art and the layout of it are fantastic, I must say. I agree. We have uh, digital and uh, paper edition of this particular issue, and I'm really glad that we have the paper one because the art in it is just superb the way it goes back and forth between extreme extreme close-ups of physical fighting to the scenes around them and then the, there's a couple of like really big panels mm-hmm. that are very well done and very uh martial arts movie yeah. reminiscent yeah yeah for sure i think this is my favorite art of this volume and there is a, there's a particular panel that I've already put on our uh, Clockworks Twitter feed 
that is page 100 of the of the volume that has small silhouetted David and Cyclops and then in a big like blue glowing in the sky representations of them in armor and it looks so much and so reminiscent of the fight between David and the Shadow King in the last episode of this season. It is. It's interesting. That's such an interesting moment because that, I think, like we talked about Ruth being disfigured and is that artistic license or is that accurately representing what's happening? Here, this is not representing a psychic battle. Like this is an artistic, not a psychic moment, Mm -hmm. right? The artist is giving us a metaphor in the background, not showing us what's happening psychically because this isn't a psychic battle. Yeah, exactly. I really like this issue. I like the way it looks. I really like David talking directly to us at the beginning of this. Hey, you reading this, hearing my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Like he breaks the fourth wall. Yeah. I really like David kind of philosophizing and theorizing while there's a fist fight in the background. And the way that this issue is all set up is what should be the four. Like you would think I'm getting that backwards. He's philosophizing in the background while a fist fight happens. But no, the philosophizing is the foreground. The fist fight is happening in the background of all of that. And I really like it. Mm I really like the way the way it's all set up makes it seem like the physical conflict isn't really the main point, and it isn't. I, I just like it. Mm-hmm. Although, what what the fork is David nattering on about? Of course, training <laughs> would make a difference in a fight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Not that I've been in a fight. Uh, but the, yes, someone who has been trained in martial arts, that would make a difference. You don't need a plan if you've been trained and you've practiced. That's the point of training and practice. Yeah, exactly. It's not really the point, I guess, but like, but that bothered me a little bit. Mm-hmm. But in general, I really like this issue. I don't know if I like, I don't know if I love or hate the like way overly florid and theoretical commentator and the other guy's like, yeah, shut up. Let's go back to the fight. Mm-hmm. I can't decide if I love that or hate that. What do you I think, think? I think I like it. I like it. <laughs> I think this is really good. Yeah. And then we see David get sucked into this. I mean, this, this mutant that's been contained this whole time does some sort of thing where she merges all these different fleshes together. Mm-hmm. And we see this monster that has been, we've seen in flashes already of like, this is the future David is headed for. And so this is kind of a culmination of something we've seen all along. Yep. And this is what causes Luca to finally show up again in some sort of metal armor. Yeah. He was wood before, and now he's metal, so mm-hmm. it like symbolizes that he's more powerful than he used to be. I guess so, yeah. More of a physical threat than he used to be anyway. Mm-hmm. So moving on, issue, the last issue of the volume, Wear the Grudge Like a Crown, part three. As Luca is about to kill Ruth, David explodes and contains 
everything, mm-hmm. revealing that the entire thing, I don't know what to call it, <laughs> besides thing, was all just a ruse to trap Luca. Then David is attacked in his mind, and the Professor X beast thing leaves him. At the end, David is trapped in his mind, unable to help anyone around him. The cover of this issue is David's head in negative space, and we see uh, his brain with either a fuse leading to a detonator, or it also kind of... uh, is reminiscent of a balloon because it's up above them, but the detonator has boom on it. So, yeah. Um, and the Emma is about to push down the trigger and Scott is there watching mm-hmm. the significance. Emma has psychically attacked David and put something in his brain that he wasn't aware of. And it's a bomb and she's going to make it explode. Mm-hmm. Right. I guess. Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah. Did you miss that? I maybe missed that. The in... Oh, yes. Now I remember. Right, yeah. They'd have this whole fight. He reveals that it was all a ruse, but they'd already put this thing in his head. Yes. And that's why he's catatonic. The Pyrrhic in the beginning of, I think the like, David gives his whole speech about, like, you're too, you know, morally strict to ever cheat and that means you're gonna lose cheating means winning blah blah blah. and then he collapses mm-hmm. the cyclops is like we cheated too and that i that is a twist and a reveal that i really liked yeah i thought it was well planted and had a great payoff because cyclops says use the fear the pyrrhic and mm-hmm. then the stepford cuckoos do something to david and we never see what that was yeah but i wasn't really paying attention and by the time it pays off, I had forgotten about it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, they did something to his brain. And they specifically said it wouldn't have time. And now that it's too late for the fight, it's doing something. Like, I thought it was really well paid off. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Once again, as we have seen through, I mean, at least the last two, this volume and the previous one, we started to see it in the first volume, too. David is pretty sure he has the moral high ground and his moral judgments are sound, but like, uh. Yeah, exactly. Right? And that big twist of like, you have to cheat to be pragmatic to win and you don't have what it takes. Hey, you did have what it takes. Is like a real, Mm -hmm. your judgment is not as good as you think it is, David. Yeah. Agreed. Also, Luca's back. I don't really care about Luca very much. No, me neither. I mean, he contains him at this point. Sort of. By the end, sort of. the psychic golden faux Charles escapes with Luca's body. Yeah. So that's not good. No. We'll see what happens in the next volume. I also just like bad move Scott to attack David. But also, like I said, this is the payoff of David doesn't share his plans, and now it has extremely backfired on him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, he just... He thinks he's a god. 
Yeah. You know, really, it, this is where the similarities for the show come come in, is that, the, that these comics are not that similar to our TV show, but there are some elements that are really there. Like, he just thinks he's better than everybody else. He thinks he's a god. He thinks he can figure out exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. And he's so, like, humble and gosh ucks about it that you don't even really catch on. Yeah. That he is able to manipulate the entire world around him. And so when he feels like he is doing good by doing that, he will, but it doesn't work because he's not, yeah, he's not all knowing, all powerful, all whatever. He's all powerful. Yeah. But he's not all knowing. Yep. And it really causes the biggest issues for him. Yeah. And now at this point, I'm very interested in what happens in issue four, mm-hmm. in volume four. Like, I am really looking forward to reading it. So, yeah. uh, good job in that sense, uh, Diamond Spurrier. I say good job in that sense because I enjoy a lot of this, but I don't think it's as strong as volume one. I don't think it's even quite as strong as volume two. Yeah. And because, as we've said, it relies so heavily on the pulling the wool, the pulling the rug out from under us. I don't. Th- I think that, and I think this issue, unlike this this volume, unlike the first two, relied on too much past knowledge. Right. I had to know a lot about like how Professor X died and David's mother and this whole like alternate bubble he used to live in, and I just like I don't know any of that stuff, and so I can deduce a lot of things. Like I'm a smart person. You are a smart, but person. I d- doesn't mean I like it when it's just reference referencing past things constantly it's yeah. not very fun to read yeah when you don't know exactly what happened and the only way i can find out why cyclops killed professor x is to go and find those issues to look it up online to figure it all out like it would i don't want a ton of exposition but a little bit would help i think you would just put your finger on it that like it's not that i'm lost it's not that i can't figure it out it just makes it less fun mm-hmm. i don't did i say who drew this issue I don't, I don't think know I did. did. This issue was pencils by Koi Fam and ink by Koi Fam and Jay Lyston. Well, I must say the art is really good. It is. And the artists change. I like the art always. Mm-hmm. I think the art is always good. Yeah. Um, I think I like Koi Fam's art best, but that's not a dig on anyone else i like the art throughout i think it's really good yeah i don't know um in terms of the artist versus the artist or writer decides they decide mutually and stuff but the panels the layout of the panels are really well done especially in this last issue the when it's like several long panels all in a row several and like several big splash pages it just i really think the panels make it interesting and often really help with making you feel like david's mind is broken yeah because the panels will be broken up in such a way that make that make you feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. they're like they're getting small they're getting big they're going back and forth it's it's difficult a little bit and that's where and when you're in his mind that you want to feel that and something like, and that's how a uh, visual medium like comic can be similar to the medium of a 
TV show in yep. that it manipulates your feelings visually to make you understand what's going on with the characters. Yeah. I think, I don't know. Like I know for a fact that different writer artist teams treat the breakdown of panels differently mm-hmm. in who decides to do what. I think that the way that the panel breakdowns work is noticeably different in the uh, last two volumes mm-hmm. with uh, Koi Pham as the artist, which makes me suspect that Simon Spurrier is giving the artist a fair bit of leeway. Yeah, that's probably true. Because when the artist changes, the layout noticeably changes. Mm-hmm. But that's total speculation. Does this volume give you any thoughts about uh, what you expect or want to see in the show next season? I, the idea of David having a master plan that, first of all, doesn't work, but second of all, is he is good. He is trying to be good, but failing at it because he's trying to manipulate the world to be good. I think we've already seen that, and I'd like to see that more. And I'm hoping for more twists and turns in that direction that I'm not expecting, but in that kind of yeah. that kind of way. What about you? I would like to see David's mother. Hmm. Yes. An aspect of this comic that I would like to see. It might be nice something that that the show could maybe take from all these comics. Uh, that might be interesting is just the like someone who claims to be Charles, but isn't mm-hmm. a, a psychic entity that claims to be Charles, even if it's just for an episode. Yeah. That, that would be, cool. be something that would be cool. I think. And I really hope they continue on the show to explore, like you said, the consequences of his power being so much greater than his judgment. Mm-hmm. Right. So I hope that he continues as he is in these books to like really be trying to do the right thing, but just getting worse and worse at it. Yeah. Absolutely. Rather than a straight up villain turn. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you have any other things you want to say about these, this volume of X-Men legacy colon Legion parentheses <laughs> prodigal exclamation point? <laughs> I think I'm good. I think I'd love to hear if our listeners have read these comics, if they have any thoughts on them themselves. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. You can tell us those things via Twitter mm-hmm. at ClockworksCast. You can send us an email, ClockworksCast at gmail.com. We also have a Reddit and a Facebook. Those links are in our show notes. And this whole series about X-Men comics, about X-Men Legacy comics, is brought to you by our patron supporters because they got us over the edge of our goal to make these extra podcasts. So thanks to them. And if you want to join them and get us to our next goal, our future is... I'm not even sure what our next goal is, but we have them. (laughs) (laughs) Our next goal is related to our other podcast, but... We also are really, would be open if you suggest a goal. We'll definitely take it into consideration. Absolutely. All right. So 
If you want to find that Patreon, it is patreon.com slash clockworkscast, where you can pledge as little as a dollar and as much as you want. (laughs) So, Paul. So, Jan. This has been me. (laughs) And I've been him. (laughs) Is that how he ends things? It is now. Goodbye.